fellow movie lovers, and welcome to Cult Fiction, a podcast where we examine Hollywood's redheaded stepchildren. As a redheaded stepchild myself, I'm Stephanie Johnson. And I'm Andy Bowell. And today we are pulling back Hollywood's crypt to welcome back John Hughes as we watch 1985's Weird Science. Weird Science. Not what teachers said to do. Making dreams come true. Living tissue warm flesh. Weird Science. science. Yay. This movie is so bad. Um, Stephanie, this movie is so bad, it destroyed our first recording of this episode, it turns out. Well, Andy, that's how computers work, don't you know? They make people and they destroy episodes. They definitely destroy episodes. And according to John Hughes, they definitely make people. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think John Hughes knows how computers work. Bless his little heart. No. Okay, this is the second John Hughes movie we've seen. The other one was Pretty in Pink. And in that one, I remember we were like, this is a perfectly fine movie. It's got some 80s homophobia. But also, um, John Hughes' computers don't work that way. And you couldn't instant message somebody in high school in the 80s. And then here we have another movie where just computers can do literally anything. Computers can do anything. Don't you dare question it. We're not going to stop and think about it for a second. (laughs) Well, it's important in all like science fiction, fantasy. It's important to establish the rules of your world, right? And apparently the rules are, I don't know, do whatever. (laughs) I mean, this was very much the thing where, like, we thought of the internet as the information highway. And so, like, we had to literally think that it was a tunnel that, like, electricity shot through and information worked through. They represent that in this just like so many other movies. But just a computer makes a person. A computer Mm -hmm. transmutes matter from plastic into flesh. And I hate it. I hated this movie. <laughs> well, there's so there's so many reasons to hate it. But before we get too ahead of ourselves, Indeed. because you know I have feelings. But before we get to that, in case you missed the movie, Weird Science is the story of two teen boys who, in an attempt to be cool and receive sexual guidance, make a woman. So I, I wanted to start this off. There's there's so much to talk about, but I wanted to start the episode off by just positing to you, like, are the 80s bad? Are the 80s from like from from a cult movie perspective, from from a filmmaking perspective as a whole? Are the 80s just bad? <laughs> Why do you say that? Well, OK, so like I, I've gone through all of our episodes and looked at every movie from the eighties and, and okay, we had some, some gems, some of our absolutely favorite movies return to Oz desperately seeking Susan. Um, mm-hmm. you know, we had the hunger, which I loved when I saw it and, and you loved after we talked about it, but you walked away not liking. So let's put that in the middle along with pretty and pink, which was perfectly fine. And then the other movies from the 80s we watched on cult fiction are Toxic Avenger, Howard the Duck, Bad Taste, Down by Law, Reanimator, Killer Clowns, and Weird Science. Oh, oh, man. Maybe the 80s were bad. And, and maybe... 
maybe it's just hit or miss. Maybe, maybe it's a false positive because we've seen more eighties movies just through the pure luck of the crypt. Maybe it was because cocaine was still like a totally acceptable party drug. And if you were a hip hot LA like movie producer, you could just blow some rails and then green light a project. And it doesn't matter how bad it was or how many days it took the guy to write it, which in this case was two. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I'm wondering that. I'm wondering if it was like, oh, it was easier to make a movie then. I'm wondering if it was like economically it was cheaper to make a movie then. I'm wondering if it was like audience expectation was lower. And then a lot of me is like, okay, the movies we look at are cult movies, which is not to say they're good. So, like, we are right. not getting the cream of the crop of the 80s. No, and, and you know, that brings up a very good point. There are so many just utter classic movies from the 80s that we're never going to really um, get in our oeuvre of this show. But just, I really think, you know, you bring up economics, you bring up it was easier to make a movie. That That rings a bell to me. It was... It was a time between Vietnam and like the Gulf conflict, the first one. So, I mean, we had the Cold War and, and of course that was looming over everybody's head. But, you know, that led to economic growth in some ways and media was popularized in a way that like it hadn't quite been in the 70s yet. So mm -hmm. I, I can absolutely see that there's and, you know, in the grand scheme of things, there's some reason why, like the 80s sticks in people's minds. There's such 80s nostalgia right now. So I think there's there's definitely something there and there's some reverence there. But my God, you get some absolute stinkers. And this was one of them. Oh, no, it really was it is like leaving the the terrible concept of the movie alone there's no good characters the writing isn't great the acting isn't phenomenal and it just rules aren't followed and it doesn't make sense like there's no logic to this movie in a really problematic way no it just it truly does seem like and and this was early in john hughes's career but he had still made um a couple of things that would go on to be like his gems he had he had made family vacation uh he wrote the breakfast club and and shot it at the same time that this was being made so you can really tell which one he like actually gave a shit about um oh no but you know he had written 16 candles he had written mr mom he had written vacation and i really just think that somebody was like yeah john we trust you here's a blank check and a briefcase full of coke go make your movie we're not going to like, well, we're not going to give you a second draft. We're not going to give you any oversight. <laughs> well, Mr. Mom is deeply problematic as well. I have not actually seen Mr. Mom. Oh, all one needs to know is the premise, which is it is a dude doing all of the things a mom would do. Hilarious. Am I right? You know what? Yeah, I can see there's there's I can see the through line in John Hughes's earlier work. <laughs> well, even in Breakfast Club, there's like there's some shitty sexism and there's a lot of like very toxic masculinity. There's um 
Anthony Michael Hall's character in Sixteen Candles, I think, steals the girl's underwear. Yeah, that sounds um, right. So, like, it's it's eighties weren't a great time for equality for women. And but you know, <laughs> you know, I'm so glad things have gotten better. I mean, things have, oh. things have gotten better, but but you know, only in some ways. <laughs> um, moving right along, the rant, ignoring the rant that I could go on. <laughs> so, speaking of Anthony Michael Hall, uh, John Hughes's other uh, muse of an actor, along with Molly Ringwald, during you know that golden period of the mid '80s, he is not good. He is not good in this movie. As Gary, nope. our, 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 one of our two main protagonists. And it's so funny to me because, like, Anthony Michael Hall, at least I got an impression that he was, like, trying. He was, he was doing some deeply upsetting things and was an annoying character, but he was at least trying. Um, the other main character, Wyatt, whose name, real name is Ian something. The point is, I have to think of it top of head because Ian Mitchell Smith's career died six years after this movie to the point where he doesn't like I don't think he's in the industry in any way, shape or form. (laughs) I like to imagine that he like runs a florist shop now, like he's like, you know, a six foot two hipster with a bit of a beard and, you know, like owns a flower shop with a really cute name like Tony's Tulips or something like that. And he's just like living a normal life. I I hope he is. I, I hope he's free of the stigma of this movie and doesn't have people run up and like hand him a, a poster of himself with a bra on his head and ask him to sign it. That probably doesn't happen. I don't think people actually care about this movie that much. You're dead meat, Pilgrim. <laughs> I should I should hope not. This movie is deeply problematic and has not aged well at all. So I really hope there is not people walking around being like, you know what my favorite movie is? Weird Science. You know what my favorite John Hughes film is? I understand like Pretty in Pink and Sixteen Candles are like these massive, amazing romance teen comedies. But God, Weird Science, like the part where they make the girls' tits go big. Oh, my God. The height of comedy. <laughs> well, even worse, they say like, oh, no, you can't you can't go too big because then you'll get a tongue sprain. And I'm like, oh, OK, so it's on, your harm is on the woman for having big breasts, not you not having self-control. OK. <laughs> Oh boy. <laughs> it's the tip of the iceberg, Andy. It really is. So just to focus like so Anthony Michael Hall, he's at least trying. He he does maybe the worst thing I've seen on <sighs> cult fiction. Like certainly my least favorite. And and I got to sit here and reckon with the fact that like We've seen some truly insane gore. We've seen some truly upsetting bad things. And yet, a white teenager doing like a 10 minute long sequence where they get drunk and then talk jive to a bunch of African American men really stands out. (laughs) Who then sit there and are completely, like, 
completely unfazed by it and in fact somewhat encourage it i'm like oh my god how offensive was this to those actors who had to be like no this is fine yeah because the point of that first scene at least is absolutely like all it took was gary loosening up and then speaking the language as it were to become friends with these guys like the point of that scene is hey if we just talked like this around black people they'd like us my fellow white americans and that's not good. <laughs> nope. And it went on uncomfortably long. Like, it didn't just last one scene. No, it, it lasted seriously like like five, ten minutes of movie. It was three scenes. It's the entire time he's drunk for the rest of the night. And I hate it. I hate it. And I hate it. The entire time Anthony Michael Hall is doing that, and and there are some other moments in the movie where it seems like he's just trying to do a bit. All I could think about is Anthony Michael Hall was you know little teen actor coming up and and being John Hughes's muse, and then decided out of nowhere that he wanted to be on the next upcoming season of Saturday Night Live with pre rehab Robert Downey Jr., who's also in this movie. The two of the two of them go straight from this movie to do Saturday Night Live, and it is infamous as one of the absolute worst seasons in Saturday Night Live's history, to the point where neither actor would last the entirety of the season. Oh no, really? Oh yeah, like it, I don't remember if they were fired because they were so bad or if they just quit of their own accord. Um, I, I went through this period of time where I was like trying to watch a little bit of each season of SNL to like get a flavor for it. So I've seen episodes from this 1985 season and it is truly some of the most entertaining bad comedy I've ever seen on TV. Oh no. Well, it kind of tracks when you look at the comedy in this movie, because you pointed out that there is a no point in this movie where you laugh at the thing you're supposed to laugh at. Not not in 2020. Like, no, not at all. The only chuckles this movie got from me were at how unintentionally farcical things were. Like, I think the, the biggest um, laugh I got in the entire movie is at the end when Wyatt grabs his new girlfriend's butt and, like, <laughs> she just gives these eyes that, like, he just totally played the moves on her and, oh my god, what a keeper, the way he grabs my ass, which fits with, uh, you know, what we're assuming is the overarching theme of this movie. <laughs> <laughs> women are objects welcome to weird science and speaking of women are objects do we do we want to talk about lisa the only reason sure. this movie exists sure played by the brilliant kelly lebrock who what else has she been in so kelly lebrock was a model like a real life like you know couture playboy model whatever and and at the height of her powers she was like you know the woman she she was the christian dior girl she was an absolute just modeling queen and then she managed to turn that into a little bit of an acting career um weird science was actually her second movie the other one being something called woman in red 
Um, she was in mm-hmm. some Steven Seagal movie back when that was an acceptable thing for an actress to do. And God. then, I mean, she's got credits all the way till 2019, but really like she is Lisa from weird science. And that is her, that is her, that is her stamp on filmmaking. God, what an unfortunate stamp. I know. Well, when when you're a model and you can just say like, oh, this actually sucks. I'm going to go back to this other thing that gives me fame and popularity. I, I can accept it. I mean, that's fair. I don't I don't judge her for accepting the film. No. I judge the film for making of her what it did. Yes. And not even of her, of her character. Yeah, the representation of her. The, the, the worst thing you can say is like... Kelly LeBrock had the coincidental misfortune of being what 1985 wanted to say was the perfect woman. Okay, so I have a theory, Andy. Mm -hmm. Lisa is male sexual awakening Mary Poppins. Yeah, yeah, that saying that and and you know you mentioned that in your notes um that really opens my eyes as to what john hughes was trying to do mm-hmm. like down to the fact that when she leaves the house is magically cleaned up everything is sorted back to normal the boys have grown in their confidence and maturity somewhat sure okay they have girlfriends now that was the point they had girlfriends so and she's like she is there to serve a purpose despite the fact that she is a human who has emotions and feelings she's just well i don't know maybe she's not human but she has feelings and she never gets what she wants out of the situation her motivations are incredibly unclear and it really doesn't matter what she wants because she's just there to make the boys happy and she loves it i mean that is what she wants she says so Mm -hmm. (laughs) she talks about how she is their property and that is just totally what gets her rocks off So there was one line that she said, oh, okay, so there's a whole thing about them, the boys, Wyatt and Gary wanting to shower with a girl. And so the first thing they do is subject this poor woman to a shower, right? And they're standing in the shower in their clothes. And she's like, oh, my gosh, this is amazing. And then later in a party scene, she, like, turns to the girls and she's like, have you ever showered with Gary and Wyatt? It's amazing. And I'm like... Girl, they stood there in the shower, fully clothed, watching you like creeps. How was that the height of luxury for you? Well, because she doesn't know any better. And and how could she know any better or want any better, don't you know? The longer, and and, I mean, we're going to spend a minute on this. The longer you look at Lisa and her character, it's just this black hole of like, Nothing you do makes sense. You exist to be completely fetishistic and like self-servicing towards the male gaze. You are a bizarrely incomplete character and, 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 and you want to know the only like half decent thing about that shower sequence? Sure. There's anything decent about it, but well, sure, okay. Well, well, Kelly LeBrock didn't have to shower with Anthony Michael Hall and Ian Mitchell Smith, 
or rather she did, but she didn't have to shower naked like Lisa does. She, uh, she like rightly said, okay, I'm going to wear some swimsuit bottoms and pasties and that's how we're going to do this. Okay. Good for her. We didn't even talk about this, um, in the last recording, but like it, something that actually brings me joy is how little shit Kelly LeBrock took. Um, you know, there's several sequences in the movie where Lisa kisses either Wyatt or Gary, and they're all pretty damn awkward. There's, um, I think the first time she kisses Wyatt, it's like a fairly in-depth open mouth kiss. Mm-hmm. Apparently, during one of the first couple takes, Ian Mitchell Smith tried to French Kelly LeBrock and and you know <gasps> stuck his tongue in her mouth, and she said, "If you do that again, I'm going to kick your ass." <laughs> I I kind of love that. So, what would you little maniacs like to do first? We gotta oh. we gotta look at the bright side here. And the bright side is Kelly LeBrock at least was you know, she knew that she might be doing a piece of crap, but hey, it's a John Hughes movie, and I'm going to at least have self-respect for myself and not let a 14-year-old kiss me. Which okay, must have been so awkward because she is a fully grown woman. And she's making out with teenagers. And yeah, like the movie spends a second, like acknowledging that, like they, you know, they kind of poke fun at the boys for being, uh, wimps. It makes them seem like it's calling them wimps for the fact that they wear their pants in the shower or like, you know, there are so many sequences where nobody can quite believe at first that Lisa is um with gary and wyatt until they get the quote-unquote confidence to like flaunt her around um (laughs) cool cool good super good super cool there's a reason i've realized like i've known what this movie poster looks like for 15 years oh thanks i hate that but that's the only thing I ever knew about the movie. And I think that is like the lasting icon of weird science. I don't know how many people are going to sit here and say that this is a cult classic, but everybody, or at least I think most boys around my age definitely would recognize Kelly LeBrock in blue panties and the gray crop top, like posing in the doorway with the other two schlubs wearing bras on their head. Like that poster is incredibly familiar. While we're talking about how Lisa doesn't work as a character, can we address the thing that was making my brain snap in half about how she's just arbitrary and magic and like her motivations are never clear. Can we go ahead and do that? Oh, yeah. Talk about how she might be a villain. She might be a hero. She might be a chaos demon. Who knows, really? She definitely plays the role of chaos demon. And, and the Mary Poppins thing, that, that works for a bit. And then it, it goes too far. Because, like, Mary Poppins could be stern. Mary Poppins could be like, okay, small children, I'm going to give you not the thing you want, but it turns out it's actually the thing you need. And they try to do that so much with Lisa when like 
she she knows what Gary and Wyatt what's best for them and what they actually need to become like confident men but then that stuff is like point a gun in the face of one of their parents and kidnap him. <laughs> well, Andy, it's a water gun. Don't forget that part. It's a water gun. It's a water gun, don't you know? Or, you know, the the classic moment where she like makes the other uh makes Wyatt's grandparents catatonic and just does this horrible thing to them and then plays it off as Oh, they're fine. They're much happier now. See, they're smiling. Why aren't you getting this? It's so unbelievably dark. And it kind of, I kind of loved it. I loved that Lisa was starting to become this different entity. Like she wasn't just okay with being, you know, object pretty that is a woman based on the scan of a Barbie doll and pictures of a magazine all scrapped out like a choose your own adventure novel um i so want to turn to you and be like oh my god headcanon accepted what if she like grew past wanting to be their their little pet slave thing and the whole tearful goodbye kill myself thing was just like an act to get away from them because it's how they needed to say goodbye. I want so badly to say that. And then the last shot in this movie establishes that Lisa is now the gym teacher and like still totally Mm -hmm. being the hottie only now she has every boy in high school to ogle her and make her like be the object of their sexual desire. So I, I, I want so badly to pull something good from this and I can't. Uh, yeah, I think trying to pull something good from this movie is a bit, is a bit much. Yeah. I don't think it's going to happen, but we can talk about, your thoughts and feelings as someone who has been a teenage boy. <laughs> sure. So, poor Hemplo, uh, tell me about the first time you shaved. So, yeah, the we see in the movie Wyatt just playing with the shaving cream, and, and I never gave myself a, a shaving cream Fu Manchu mustache, like, like, or it's Gary, actually, like Gary does. I'm pretty sure the first time I shaved... Um, I just took razor to skin. Like I, I, no. I wet a razor and just like, no, went to town. I mean, I didn't like, maim, no. I didn't maim myself or anything, but I definitely didn't use shaving cream. Um, or, oh, oh, oh no, maybe it was an electric razor and that's why I didn't use shaving cream. Anyway, as, as I, you know, just started to grow a beard as a high schooler, I definitely realized, Oh, this is a thing and would give myself, you know, the big foamy Santa Claus situation. But, uh, (laughs) definitely like I've seen this in so many movies, like people play with the soap or people play with shaving cream and do this silly thing and make like a beard for themselves or a mohawk. And I never did that. I don't know. 
Well, maybe that's a John Hughes thing because you have to think about that like really iconic scene in Home Alone where Kevin like slaps his face with the aftershave, then looks in the mirror and goes, "Ah!" Like, right. There's that's maybe that's his thing. I'm pretty sure there's a bit like that in Ferris Bueller's Day Off as well. So, okay, okay, so John Hughes, yeah, go ahead. Doesn't know how computers work. Doesn't care either. <laughs> Doesn't care and maybe spends a little too much time grooming himself and being a fool about it. I can buy it. I can very much buy it. Have you, do you know what John Hughes looks like? I was actually, you're so psychic because I was just about to Google him. I have zero clue what he looks like. Well, okay, you need to see what he looks like and you need to see what he looks like on his IMDb because that actually... A lot of things make sense with the shaving cream and with the hair stuff. Oh my god. John Hughes looks like Hannah Gadsby. I'm just gonna say it. <gasps> oh no! And I don't know if that's that's not a knock on John Hughes. That might be a knock on Hannah Gadsby. <laughs> it it very well may be. There's a beautiful shot on his IMDb of him with the Breakfast Club cast. And they're all being, you know, themselves in the Breakfast Club cast. And then John Hughes is sitting there looking like, someone stole my sandwich. Like, he looks John, so displeased with like. Yeah, I'm, look, I'm looking at the same picture. John Hughes desperately wishing he was Judd Hirsch. Or Judd Nelson. <laughs> um... Okay, since we're looking at the same picture, which we will absolutely link to in our notes because podcasting is not a visual medium. Um, Anthony Michael's Hall, Anthony Michael Hall's arm. What, you mean just how it's casually draped over John Hughes's leg there? Yeah. I'm just saying Anthony and Michael Hall to John Hughes is Johnny Depp to um help me hear the guy who does tim the burton. things and the depressing yes thank you tim burton i i can see it and and you know especially like you add in so that makes molly ringwald helena bottom carter in this in this analogy <laughs> perfect <laughs> which yeah it makes makes a whole heck of a lot of sense it's it's so weird there's there's this weird little bizarrity so anthony michael hall dropped out of family vacation two which was a john hughes movie to then be the lead in weird science which is again a john hughes movie immediately coming after the filming of the breakfast club a john hughes movie i don't know it's definitely like in those first couple years it was just like you're my friends now you're gonna be in every movie i make Maybe he just really enjoyed working with them, but I can't imagine Anthony Michael Hall was such a treat to work with, especially after hearing your SNL story. Oh, Gary! Ma, I never talked soft to anything! You told me you were combing your hair! I was! I was! I mean, he was a kid. He, 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 you know, he was, he, he like joined that SNL cast and was like 16 or something. It was Lord. it was totally this whole little weird bit of like okay my my fair faced my my fair haired ruddy faced friend you are going to be like the new comedy god of 
everything and it just never came to be i mean the most i can say is anthony michael hall is still acting he's not doing comedy anymore thank god but like he's still got a career it's more than the other guy up until iron man it was more than you could say for robert downey jr really has he not been in much i know nothing about rdj's career oh well so that's why i made the joke of uh so this this movie has pre-rehab rdj um robert downey jr almost like shot his career in the face just by doing all the cocaine um to the point Uh. where he legitimately was like somebody who was unreliable to make a movie with and nobody wanted to give him that like give him one more shot um right up until marvel cast him as tony stark and that led to a career renaissance like you you can look through it i think uh i don't remember when he did chaplin um but he uh he was in the charlie chaplin biopic and that was like the thing that made him a name and and totally like brought him up to the rise of popularity and then so i'm looking through it now like he he didn't take like a break but he didn't he wasn't capital r capital d capital j from like 1996 all the way up until whenever the first iron man came out sure that makes sense and also uh while we're talking about robert downey jr while we're talking about his character of i want to say the character's name is ian uh what the hell john hughes how are you going to go from a uh, gorgeous daddy, James Spader playing one of the greatest bullies in all of high school movies and, and bouncing around, like just being an asshole in his underwear. And then you're going to give me Robert Downey Jr. in a suit coat and, and like khaki shorts with his hair all weird and expect me to have the same level of enthusiasm. Hey, bud. Yeah. Do we just really need to watch Secretary and, like, get it out of your system? I will not say no to that. All right. All right. All I'm saying is I wouldn't let either of the bullies in this film light a match off my face. That's all I'm saying. Uh, I'm going to walk right by that one. So let's talk more. No, actually, so the bullies aren't great, but like like I said in the beginning, no one's good in this movie. The girlfriends of the bullies, I think it's uh, Deb and Hilly, are so shallow. They're like, oh, should we dump our boyfriends? No, then we won't have dates to prom, so we'll keep them. You're absolutely right. Like, they are a pair of, I mean, admittedly, only kind of awful high school girls, but... Let's not forget the fact that, like, they become our main characters' love interests only after our main characters, like, threaten a biker gang and <laughs> prove their manliness, I suppose. Oh, yeah, so manly. So manly. Um, threaten a biker gang, uh, drop some homophobic slurs. What are you going to do? How else are you going to show the girls you like that you're worth them liking you back than by dropping some F-bombs? Uh, 
And not the four-letter word. No. No, not at all. And this no. this is the second John Hughes movie we've seen. Second movie where our hero uh, uses a, a gay slur. Um, so that's fun and cool and great. And, you know, you bring... The worst. The, the absolute worst. And um, that's some straight-up 80s homophobia for you. And I hate it. Speaking of 80s homophobia, there's also a moment of, like very extreme toxic masculinity but it's kind of a blink and you'll miss it thing when wyatt's wyatt's gary's when gary's dad finally comes home um gary goes to hug his dad and his dad's like no stop it get off me (laughs) give me a firm handshake like a man and i'm just like oh oh there's that if i wanted to read into it but nothing else is there's no other part of it other than Chet. I was about to say Chet is the biggest part of it. And, and yeah, you look at maybe one of the most toxically masculine characters we've ever seen in a movie. Um, he's no Marxist manservant Mario, but he's still quite an asshole. And you're like, Oh, <laughs> this man raised Chet. Yeah. Yeah. It makes sense. He's not going to hug his son. Yeah. Well, because Chet is, like, the worst older brother. Like, he has no affection for his younger brother, bribes him for money, and then is really mean to the girls for no reason at all. That's the part that got me. Like, you're pointing a gun in the face of a girl you don't know. And I think I think it's not even Wyatt. I think he points, uh, I think he points the gun in Gary's girlfriend's face. So, like, the chain is my little brother's best friend's I'm going to assume girlfriend by the context of the situation. Yeah, I'm going to point a shotgun in her face. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yup. I... Chet gets what he comes for, though. In the, <laughs> the ship of a weird poop monster? Was that was what I was supposed to read? Uh, yeah, poop monster, frog thing, just utterly super fucking gross like animatronic creature Uh uh-huh which apparently they were going to do more of that like they were going to have robert downey jr and the other guy also turn into things but they wanted to like save all of that magic for the big chet reveal and then they did and it's just (sighs) I don't know. It's not fun. Like, like that's the worst thing I can sit here and say is like, this movie isn't fun. All of the best moments are these incredibly small, non like highlighted jokes. I think the funniest actual joke in the movie for me is when, um, Anthony Michael Hall's dad just completely forgets he exists. <laughs> Yup. And his poor mother spends every other scene therein trying to convince, no, no, we have a son. His name is Gary. What are you talking about? <laughs> My favorite is there's a billboard um, right outside the town that says, welcome to Shermer, Illinois, one of America's towns. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like home of people, I guess. <laughs> That one is so great to me because that's just this little sarcastic, like, tongue-in-cheek. Like, it's every town USA. 
nothing happens here nothing's ever gonna happen here so this could happen in your town too and i, I, dun, dun, dun. I actually really appreciated that because i was like oh okay i see you john hughes i see you like you've got the sprinklings of the little like teen comedy magic that would make you an icon what were you doing what where was it the rest of the time <laughs> it was busy going into Breakfast Club. This movie is like Breakfast Club's racist uncle or Breakfast Club's childhood best friend that like didn't go anywhere. Yep. And never left to their hometown. Yeah, literally. They stayed in Shermer, Illinois while Breakfast Club <laughs> went off to New York and like became a successful real estate mogul or something. Okay. All right, I'll take it. Um, (laughs) Speaking of, you know, making something of yourself, one of the things that pissed me off the most about Lisa is that, okay, she's the perfect woman, right? She's, and I quote, she burped and it was charming, which, oh my God. Okay, whatever. But like, she's the most perfect woman. The boys multiple times look at her and say, look at her, she's perfect. And And? she's still not good enough to get what she wants at the end of the movie. She's still not good enough to land the dude. Yeah, that's that really is like just the final nail in the coffin. This this movie, like whether or not John Hughes is a misogynistic mess or not. and, And, you know, really haven't seen anything to totally confirm that. Um, this movie is a misogynist wet dream. Um, to, yeah, the the perfect girl, the perfect woman is still an object and a means of facilitation and nothing more and doesn't get her ending, doesn't get the, the story the way she wants because, again, she's a thing. Oh... I've had a wonderful time. Mm-hmm. Um, the other bit of that, that that I noticed off the bat, um, when they name her Lisa, it's um, like they're having a conversation about what they need to call her. And I think they say it's like Gary's first crush or something was named Lisa. So let's go ahead and call you Lisa. And so the implication of like, I'm going to transfer the emotional connection I have to this name from a completely other girl and then apply it onto you. Like I guarantee you we're thinking about this so much harder, but mm-hmm. in thinking about this so much harder, that is totally messed up. Yep. It's like calling all your girlfriends baby. So you don't get them confused. <laughs> I mean, maybe this is why she gets so like, perturbed and and decides to just stop helping in the middle of everything i couldn't get over lisa's arbitrary powers and like like so the boys cause the second like magic storm or whatever and it makes the kitchen blue and it maybe summons the biker gang that's really never clear or maybe lisa does and it it creates the persian missile that explodes through the house um and and Lisa just never doing anything and, and kind of being like a little bit like, oh, you made your bed now lie in it. But then she fixes everything at the end of the movie 
for no real reason. Like nothing, nothing really happened except for the confrontation with the bikers. Well, she's so proud of her boys. You know, they grew up, they got girlfriends. That's really all she wanted. She's so proud of her boys. Her work here is done. Time to go like give a bunch of high school gym class boys nosebleeds. <laughs> is I, that a thing? I mean, I, I've i never seen a pretty woman and gotten a nosebleed, but popular culture has led me to believe that that can be a thing. <laughs> I don't know what to say to that. Never mind. <laughs> I want so badly for it to be like... I don't know. I want so badly for it to be that Lisa secretly wanted to get away from those two schmucks and go live her life. And all it would have taken is for that last shot instead to be like some New York boardroom. And it's like, okay, everybody welcome the new uh, CEO of the company, Lisa. And you see Kelly LeBrock in like this brilliant, stunning pantsuit or something. That would have raised the movie up a couple of points in my mind. Nope. She's a gym class hero. Welp. <laughs> Welp. Welp. Uh, this was so bad I couldn't come up with a quote for it. I also had no quote. Like, like there's, there's a bit that... There's a bit I want to talk about, but it's not my quote. It's the only thing that could be a quote, but this movie didn't earn it to me. Um, There was confusion for me with the bikers because there's a throwaway joke where one of them says that, you know, he really wants to keep his teaching job so that please nobody talk about this. So Mm -hmm. were the bikers real? Because that's insane to me like they were straight up monster people you got the one dude whose face looks like a smashed in disco ball you got the other dude who was one of the uh, bad guys in the original hills have eyes and then you've got um bennett from commando vernon wells um rocking a tomahawk and a like weird shotgun and his girlfriend on a chain behind him which is you know problematic for its own reasons but if they're a bunch of like created biker mutants i I get it so much more than if that biker gang organically exists in Shermer, illinois and just happened to show up at that moment well okay so you have to think like I think the way, the closest I came to understanding it is that the way that Lisa works isn't necessarily she creates people, it's she pulls people from random. So like the club they find, for example, Lisa approaches it like it's the hippest, hoppiest, like greatest club in town. And the boys come in and they're like, uh, we clearly don't belong here. This is not, you know, mm-hmm. this is not the club for us. Um we're going to appropriate this culture and be what white people always are the worst, but it's, it's like this weird randomness. And I think the same logic applies to the biker dudes. That's fair. Yeah. I, I, I think you're right there. And, and I guess I have to, uh, you know, accept the explanation one way or another. Um, I'm realizing really, I haven't talked at all about the technicals of this movie, like, you know, how it was shot, how it was edited. And really all I can say is like, it's, it's all perfectly fine. I remember, um, for pretty in pink, I said, I could have shot pretty in pink and I also could have shot weird science. There's nothing, 
there's no craziness in the uh in in the technical aspects of this movie that like raise it up for me because i mean you know usually that's all it takes if there's something i like i can hone in on that uh weird science didn't have that and that just made it so disappointing overall I want to I want to actually on that note I want to run something by you and maybe this can be a new segment whenever we see a movie that we just absolutely despise but I'm okay. I'm trying to figure out exactly how bad weird science is I've got a ranking <laughs> I've got a ranking of all the movies we watched and, and I want to just run some things by you and you tell me what you'd rather watch Oh, fun. Okay. Yeah. And and I think to start off, we can both agree that Pretty in Pink was better than Weird Science. We would rather see Pretty in Pink. Oh, absolutely. Okay. Would you rather see Weird Science again or Snakes on a Plane? (sighs) I would rather watch Snakes on a Plane again. And that's telling given how much you hate snakes. (laughs) I hate snakes. I hate airplanes. I would rather watch Snakes on a Plane again. (laughs) Would you rather see Showgirls? Oh my god. I never thought I would be nostalgic for Nomi eating a Carl's Jr. cheeseburger on the top of her car. But you know what? Carl's Carl's Jr. is what this movie needed. Carl's Jr. is what this movie needed. I Nostalgic's the right word. I missed Nomi Malone and I can't believe it. <laughs> <laughs> crossover where Nomi Malone enters into the weird science universe I want that movie <laughs> like instead of Kelly right. LeBrock it's Elizabeth Berkley in the closet and instead of being this omnipotent like maybe kind of secretly wise trickster chaos god it's friggin Nomi Malone being shitty right back at Anthony Michael Hall and like yelling at them and being a generally annoying useless and pulling pulling out a switchblade and like asking them for their money <laughs> you want to learn how to shave pretty boy I'll teach you how to shave <laughs> where am I where, where did I come from uh, uh, places okay <laughs> oh no okay so yes to answer your question and bring it back around i would much rather watch showgirls than this okay okay would you rather uh go back to santa carla and watch the lost boys oh hells yes you know yeah as much as i didn't like lost boys i liked it a hell of a lot more than weird science (laughs) okay here's here's where it starts to get uh right on the edge for me Okay. Would you rather see Howard the Duck? Uh, I think so. Oh, God. I think so. I think so. I would, too. I don't know. I, no, I, I would, too. Like, like give me Quack Fu and give me uh, the mom from Back to the Future and even give me friggin' um, not Tom Arnold. I made that joke before. How I always confuse him with Tom Arnold. Give me Andy Dufresne even before you give me Weird Science again. Yep. Okay. So what do we got left? Well, I, I this one this one's kind of a trick question for you because like 
would you rather watch this again or watch Killer Clowns for the first time? And I know you won't do clowns, so that one is a little bit of a mulligan. Um, okay, all right. I will go ahead and say I would rather watch Killer Clowns from Outer Space than Weird Science again, and I cannot believe I'm saying that. Oh, damn. Okay, all right. Would you rather watch this or The Toxic Avenger? Oh. Uh, 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 uh. That's really hard. I think I would rather watch this. Okay. Okay. I think. I think. Just from a pure... I'm trying to differentiate entertainment value and, like, filmmaking value. Um... Toxic Avenger knew what it was trying to be. In a, sure. And Weird Science knows what it's trying to be. I just, I hate them both. I think, <laughs> okay, I, I think we're on the line here. I think um, either way, this makes Weird Science either the third or fourth worst film we've ever seen. Uh, let's just be clear. We would both watch Weird Science over Blood for Dracula, Yes. Yes, okay. oh, ab- All right. absolutely. All right, so it fits right in between uh, Toxic Avenger and Blood for Dracula, I think. <sighs> cool, cool. Which cool. does make it the third worst movie we've ever seen. <laughs> you know what's the worst thing I've ever read, though? Hmm. Not, okay, I shouldn't say the worst thing because the writing is fantastic, but I was trying to come up with a reading rec for this. And I typed into Google Fembots articles, like articles about feminism and robots. Mm. And I found a brilliant article by Elizabeth Nolan Brown in Reason Magazine called Sex, Love, and Robots. And it's a deep dive into the culture behind sex bots and their effects on sex, sexuality, and society. And it is fascinating. And it's uh the worst thing i've ever read i hate (laughs) well because it talks about like how um there's an argument in some sex bot cultures that you know uh child sex robots could be used in the same way that methadone is used for meth addicts for pedophiles oh i deeply hate it deeply hate it yeah yeah yeah, I, but it was really fascinating. Well, I was going to sit here and make a Futurama joke and, and talk about making out with my Marilyn and robot, and now I'm just sad. But, but thank you for the reading recommendation. You're welcome. Oh, my God. Okay, so this movie at least earned a reading recommendation. We agreed it didn't get quotes. Every, every movie, and... and I don't know why it was easier for me to come up with Oscars for like blood for Dracula and plan nine. It was so hard for me to come up with an Oscar for weird science, but it's, it's part of our mission on this show to give every movie some Oscar praise. So with that said, I've, I've got one that's kind of. Is yours kind of a Razzie? Cause mine's kind of a Razzie. Mine's kind of a Razzie. Okay. Why don't you go ahead? I would like to give, Weird Science, the Oscar, for best reason to not do a movie. 
No. Kelly LeBrock almost wasn't in this. And I have to think that even with John Hughes, even with Robert Downey Jr., even with Anthony Michael Hall, this movie does not stick in people's memories without Kelly LeBrock. Sure. And she almost turned this down because when John Hughes contacted her, she was, quote, having so much fun riding horses on the beach in the south of France. As, as you do, really. As you do when you're Kelly LeBrock, queen of 80s modeling. Like, and I just got to sit here and think, if just one of those horses had been like a little more fun... Or maybe like a little rambunctious, a little a little unbroken, and Kelly LeBrock had to like say, No, 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 I need to turn this down. I need to stay in the south of France for another two weeks and break in Buttercup. We wouldn't have had to watch this movie. <laughs> <laughs> so you're saying that this movie would not be cult without Kelly LeBrock? No, this movie would this this movie would fall into the truly worst spot you can be where it, it would be so bad, but not bad enough to enjoy. Mm. Unless Lisa is a Kelly LeBrock or like somebody of that caliber. And uh, <laughs> my Oscar is. Um, the worst prequel to Smart House. Ah. Oh. Because, like, I feel like this is what Smart House exceed, like, it excelled at being what this was trying to be. Absolutely. I absolutely agree with you. Smart House is an objectively better movie, and it's a Disney Channel mm-hmm. original. <laughs> Well, I just, I like to think, like, I like to imagine to myself that LeVar Burton was sitting at home on, like, a rainy Sunday, flipping channels, and he was like, weird science. That was a terrible movie. I'm going to write it, but better. And then I'm going to sell it to Disney Channel and make piles of money that I'm then going to put back into children's education. Because I'm LeVar Burton and I'm the best human being. The absolute best human being. I really, (laughs) nothing would make me happier than if LeVar Burton shows up in one of our films. But the the scenario you've created of of LeVar Burton owning John Hughes for the purpose of children's education deeply makes me happy. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I had to make you happy somehow out of this movie. Fair, yeah, fair enough. You know what always makes us happy on Cult Fiction? (laughs) Kevin Bacon. Kevin Bacon. (laughs) Why don't you go first? So I I was a little happy with this because normally like it's it's a little bit of a more of like, okay, crawl through the IMDb, troll through people's uh, filmographies. And this one, I kind of, I, I got there easier, I think. Um, Anthony Michael Hall was in Edward Scissorhands with Johnny Depp, which, mm-hmm. as I've said ad nauseum to this point, Johnny Depp was in Black Mass with Kevin Bacon. So I got it in two. Uh-huh. You did. Good job, bud. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. 
Hey, Bill Paxton was in this. Bill Paxton was in Apollo 13 with Kevin Bacon. Yep. Yep, he was. And and listeners, like we said, uh, this is actually take two of this. I'm not going to uh, try to fake some surprise. I was furious with myself for like he's 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 not even a blink and you miss it it's he's like the freaking third fifth build actor in this movie he's the third build actor in apollo 13 it's a joke how we like i bring up apollo 13 all the time for kevin bacon's i mm-hmm. cannot believe i forgot that love you mean it so I have no one to blame but myself on that. Like that one, that is poor form on me. I think this movie made me so disinterested that I couldn't even like put the brain power together of Bill <laughs> Paxton being in this movie. So <laughs> that one's on me. I'll just have to get you and Alex back. I'm sure you'll find a way, my friend. I hope so. Um and maybe that'll be on the next episode. Da da da. And uh, you know, normally we put our hands in the uh, fate of the Hollywood crypt, and it's one of my favorite things to do is, you know, run a, a random number generator and uh, really subject the two of us to anything at all. However, sure. I have an idea for this episode. Uh-oh. This episode uh, came out December 1st. For if, if you're listening, listening to it on the day it came out, it's the first day of December. So our next episode will be the episode that comes out closest to Christmas. And it does so happen we've got one or two Christmas movies on the list. Ironically, Tangerine was one, but I didn't know that. <laughs> <laughs> that's fair so if you don't think we'll upset the crypt too much i i have a movie that we could watch i think you know what in the spirit of the holidays the crypt will be all right with it i hope so this is this is our christmas gift to you listeners this is the crypt's christmas gift to us next time on cult fiction we will be watching 1984's comedy horror classic, Gremlins. Gremlins! Which uh, you made it clear you've never seen. I have never seen Gremlins. So yesterday when I was pulling it up, and I'm saying Gremlins because that's how I typed it. But yesterday when I pulled it up, um, I was like, oh, and Gremlins is the story of a salesman looking for a special gift for his son. Finds one in Chinatown. It's available on HBO uh, Max. And you were like, have you actually never seen Gremlins? Because the premise I was giving was so yeah, you get, blanket You gave statement. the first 10 minutes of the movie and nothing else. I did not know. I know nothing about this movie. All I know is you don't feed them after midnight and you don't get them wet. Or get them uh, shine a bright light in their eyes. That's right. I am so excited. I am so happy. (laughs) This is like Gremlins and Gremlins 2 are equally delightful. Gremlins 2 is batshit insane. We'll have to see when that comes up on the list. 
but uh, for for next week, I'm I'm very happy to be watching a cult Christmas movie with you, and this absolutely applies. <laughs> I'm I'm really excited. Well, that's all for this edition of Cult Fiction. If you want to keep up, you can follow us on Twitter at Cult Fiction Cast. You can also follow, rate, and review us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. We'll close the crypt for now. But join us next time when we avoid bright lights, getting wet, and eating after midnight as Stephanie and I ring in the holidays by watching 1984's Gremlins. For, Gremlins! For Stephanie Johnson, I've been Andy Boel. Hey.